0: Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR.
1: The words today of Judge Sean Dunnigan, this should serve as a warning. A warning to other owners of truck companies. This is a serious business, and we see why with tragic results. This involves the case of the trucking company involved in that horrific crash almost a year ago in Saskatchewan. that claimed 16 lives, 16 members of the Humboldt Broncos family, injured 13 others, obviously uh, left deep, deep scars emotionally on, on so many people. We know what happened uh, with the truck driver. Of course, he just had his sentence uh, handed down to him just last week. But the question throughout all of this has been, what about the company? What about the company that hired this individual? What about the company that put him behind the wheel of this truck? Where is the accountability for the company? And it's a pretty valid question. Well, today, the owner of that company, the Calgary man who owned the truck involved in that crash, was fined $5,000. Entered guilty pleas to not following provincial and federal safety rules. So that's where we start today. Is this enough? And what about those rules? I mean, if we had rules and they were not followed, is it a problem with the rules themselves? Obviously, much has changed since this crash last year. Now we'll get into that. Uh, lawyer Sadaf Raja says her client, Sugmandar Singh, of a Desh deal trucking has expressed remorse and that what happened was indeed a tragedy. We were all um, saddened by what took place. Uh, I think everybody, because it's uh, the type of case, like it's hockey, it's it's Canada, we all uh, related to it in some way. Um, He, of course, uh, as a recent immigrant, also related to this, um, and he did not want to put um, his family through this type of uh, press. So She says the uh, client, her client, wanted to resolve this case as quickly as possible and noted that the charges did not involve the crash itself. It was not a criminal wrongdoing. He was the owner of the company, and unfortunately, um, he had employed this, a particular driver that was involved in this accident. So although they seem like they're tied, but they're not really directly tied, um, the, um, th- he was investigated, the company was investigated following this accident. Some interesting comments from this morning. Eric Goldkind on with Daniel Smith, criminal defense attorney, uh, talking about a few different things. But they touched on this case and the contrast between the long sentence we handed to the driver and what's essentially then the fine for the company that was responsible for putting him on the road. There seems to be a, a disconnect in Ari's view
0: how these trucking companies haven't been charged criminally with a whole well, series of potential offenses really has bothered me.
1: Now, I don't know if you saw this story, but again, to your point, so the, the the trucking company now faces eight counts. This was just announced. I don't know if you heard about it. Uh, I, I, but I it's, do, but let me just go through them. Failing yeah, to comply yeah. with various safety and log-keeping regulations. So seven charges. Two, failing to maintain logs of driver's uh, service. Three, um, counts of failing to monitor compliance under driver safety regs. Two, of having um, more than one log, daily log for any day and then yep. an eighth charge under provincial regulations about failing to follow a written safety program. The maximum penalty, $5,000 per offense. Like th- Okay, I'm, I'm glad you read that, Danielle, because that was where I was going to go with this, where
0: these people who put SIDU on the street, made that highway unsafe that day, and they have blood on their hands. 16 people, uh, more than uh, uh, around a dozen people injured. The idea that a criminal negligence causing bodily harm or death case couldn't or shouldn't have been brought escapes me the fact that mr seduce stand there by himself going away for eight years and being deported how is it not reasonably foreseeable that when you give somebody one to three weeks of training in what the judge calls a death machine that it's not reasonably foreseeable if you want to use that term which is a a, a court term that something god awful like this could happen it's shameful and i think
1: quite frankly danielle in many ways they've gotten away with murder like a lot of people feel that way I mean, ultimately, the individual, the driver, has to be responsible for his actions. And if that driver does not feel that he can safely operate a certain kind of vehicle, uh, then it's incumbent on him to decline the request to do so. To say, you need to find somebody else. I cannot safely operate that vehicle. But it it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. We don't just say, well, we find the driver guilty, therefore it's all his fault, the company is not culpable, or vice versa. We say, well, this is all the company's fault. Therefore, the driver is is innocent or not responsible. To to some extent, they both are. And I think that's where there's this disconnect here because the driver is going to jail and will then be deported from the company or from the country. Rather, the owner of this company basically gets a fine. But in terms of why that driver was there that day driving that vehicle after that amount of training... so maybe that needs to change. Maybe we do need to hold the companies to a much higher standard. If we're going to hold the drivers to a very high standard when it comes to criminal culpability for these kinds of crashes, maybe the culpability on the uh, companies needs to increase too. Now, regarding the regulation of the industry, and I wanted to explore that side of it. Because again, this company is pleaded guilty to not following the rules. Now, presumably, maybe if all of the rules had been followed, maybe this could have been avoided. But it also illustrates that that perhaps we we can't just rely on that. That there are enough loopholes that that perhaps this driver driving this vehicle might still have been there that day. And that maybe it's too easy to to just have one of these startup fly-by-night trucking companies or to put inexperienced drivers on on the road behind the wheel of these vehicles. So certainly jurisdictions have been looking at, at tightening up those standards, making it more difficult to start up a trucking company, requiring that more training that drivers take more training before they're able to get behind the wheel of these vehicles. And I think for a lot of companies in the industry, they're more than fine with this because they're doing it already. And it is unfortunate that obviously the bad actors get a lot of the attention here, and companies that hold themselves to a higher standard, that we don't hear as much about them. And it does give the industry, I think, a bad reputation based on the perception of some of these horrific incidents. So the regulation is starting to catch up to there, and and it probably makes sense that we set the bar high. Safety has to matter. Obviously, the industry is facing its own pressures. I mean, if you set the bar too high at an unreasonable level and you make it too difficult and too expensive to start up a company and get drivers on the road, you're going to have some some economic fallout. But we can't sacrifice public safety for the economic side of things, but there's a reasonable balance to be struck there. Joining us to talk more about it from that side of things, very pleased to welcome the program Chris Nash, is President of the Alberta Motor Transport Association. Chris, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program.
0: No problem. Great to be here.
1: So obviously the, the rules have changed a lot over the last year, and we can get into that. But I mean, you know, regarding this guilty plea today, this company is admitted to not following the rules. So we did have rules in place. I mean, do do we see that was there? Did we have an issue in Alberta with the enforcement of these rules? Was Were the rules themselves insufficient? Did we need to make changes?
0: Well, this is definitely a systemic system, problem that was was there prior. You know, when we look at it as an association, um, we looked at looking at mandatory training and these sort of things. But obviously with a horrible tragedy like Humboldt, it catapulted everything forward and made it to the forefront to get us to where we are today.
1: Yeah. So what has changed uh, over the last year? So
0: there are really three key areas that were identified when it came to uh, what needed to be fixed in the industry as a start point. And the first one was obviously the licensing. Uh, that's a two-part, was one, what training is needed to before you can get your license. Second is how do you show that competency and how are you graded on it to get your license? So both of those have been addressed. And then thirdly, how can a new carrier move into and be able to start a company um, what's their competency? So those are the three areas that really were addressed since, uh, since the incident.
1: Right. And, and, and I think that that's pretty reasonable. That's the sort of thing that I think you know, people look at everything that happened here. Uh, do we have companies that, that are responsible, uh, that they're competent? And do we have drivers that are competent, drivers that are able to handle the vehicles that they are operating? Do you feel that we have sufficiently addressed those two issues?
0: Well, I, I think it's a great start point. When And you have to look at it when you're in the industry that from pre-license, what's required, obviously they've addressed that. There's a level of education that now you have to meet before you can get a commercial driver's license, Class 1, Class 2, those sort of things. So once you achieve that, there's the responsibility beyond now to work further to get the training when you start getting into the specific areas of transportation, whether it be heavy haul and the big stuff, like when we saw the splitter move out to Fort Saskatchewan, those large equipment, that sort of thing. You could be a crane operator. You could be a flat deck hauler. You could be a cement truck driver, aggregate hauling. Like There's so many different areas of trucking that that one plastic license covers that the education needs to be looked at going forward on top of the MEL program.
1: So this tragedy, I mean, does it highlight, I mean was there an issue, is there an issue with these fly-by-night companies, these companies popping up out of nowhere, hiring inexperienced drivers? I mean, how, how much of an issue is that?
0: Well, the opportunity was there to do it legally, and that's the unfortunate part, and that's what's being addressed. And the responsibility of a carrier, uh, it was easy to get your safety fitness certificate based on a few elements that you needed to have, whereas now you have to prove your competency and your responsibility knowledge so that you're aware of what needs to be done as a carrier, where before, just didn't have that. One of the biggest things that they've also introduced is there was no renewal system for a safety fitness certificate, which is needed to be able to register a commercial vehicle. So carriers could... They're measured upon that safety fitness certificate based on a rating, based on their on-road performance from inspections and collisions and uh, uh, roadside uh, convictions. So when your record goes bad, you can grab an old one that's clean, start again. Mm -hmm. So that was the problem in the system, which they've addressed now. be able to stop that so we're really really excited to see what the competency uh requirement as well as the renewal system that that's going to make sure that no one can circumvent the system to what was happening for the as they call chameleon carriers
1: yeah and and i mean you know to have those carriers i mean it 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 does give the industry a bad name doesn't it
0: absolutely when you look at our industry for the most part it's a safe industry we have Mm -hmm. carriers out there that have More robust training than what MELT is Uh, in 13-week, 16-week programs. You know, they take the time. They ensure the people on the road operating their equipment, they're qualified for what they're doing. And their safety records all support that, whereas it's just the opportunists, the small number in our industry. um, That's what gets the press, I guess, is the best way to put it. And obviously, when you have a horrible incident like this of someone who's taken advantage of the system, it's a result of it.
1: But, I mean, at the same time, there are pressures on the industry. I mean, there, there, there is a driver shortage. This is obviously increasing the cost uh, of training drivers. It, it takes longer before those drivers can get out on the road. So how does the industry, how do you balance the, those, those two interests?
0: Well, it's a transition point. It's something that's needed. It's never comfortable to have to make a change to the system. But when you consider, you look at all the other trades in Alberta or across Canada, they have standardized training that is needed to become into that field, whereas the driving side never really had that. So it's going to be uncomfortable to introduce. Companies were already spending money on training that's far beyond melt. It's just now starting to develop, let's find some training being recognized Government can look at it for saying, okay, we recognize the training. We can look at funding. Get in the process similar to how the trades work. That's where we're not at. That's where we need to get to as a, as a transportation industry.
1: Right. Yeah. How critical is the driver shortage right now?
0: Uh, it's right now the average age of a driver is 46 years old in Canada, anticipated to be 49 by 2024. In the U.S., we're looking at uh, it's 55 years old for the average driver. So this is more of the baby boomers going out. But it's, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people believe trucking is not sexy, right? It's not mm-hmm. a place you want to be, which, which is not the reality. You know, once you're in here, when you see what's coming, uh, what's being put in for technology, what's being put in for quality of life, it's a great paying job. You know, you get to see the world. You get to see a lot of it. Um, it's just it needs to have the message out there. Open for business, and it's a great career. A lot of people have been very successful and have great lives doing it. Um, but unfortunately, it's only the negative stuff people talk about. But there's a lot more positive in our industry than there is negative.
1: Yeah, great point. Well, much more at amta.ca. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this. No problem. Have a great day. All righty as well. Chris Nash, president of the Alberta Motor Transport Association. So talking about some of the changes that have been brought in since the crash last year and where we need to go from here. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.